Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Now, we're obviously not going to read the, uh, preach the whole passage, but I want to take some keys from this passage in particular. And uh, can we put that picture up, uh, Chris, of the spot, the difference? All right, who used to play these games back in the day where you'd have one picture and there would be uh, certain things on the, the other picture that were different? Who used to play them, spot the difference? All right, who wants to win a prize? Put your hand up if you can tell me one difference. Yep. The frog? The frog on his shirt? Well done, well done. Yep. Sunglasses? Yep, yep. Brown? What? Butterfly? Who said that? Who said butterfly? You've gotten two chocolates. Yep, down the back. Color of the bin? Yep. Yeah. All right, good. You guys are on. If you, if you did get one, I'm going to give you a coffee after the service. See, please see hospitality for that. See Julie after the service. Now, here's a question I've got for you. Which one is the original? Which one's the original picture? The one on the right? What makes the one on the right the original? The answer is no one knows. But we sometimes assume that it's the one on the left that's informing the one on the right. As we open up the Bible, we are given the opportunity to spot the difference. To spot the difference between what we see in the Word of God and what we see in the culture that we live in to spot the difference between what we see in the scriptures that we read in our own lives. As we hold the Word of God up to ourselves, it actually presents us with a mirror that shows us where we are in alignment with God's Word, with God's ways, with God's will, and where perhaps we're out of alignment. And in this case, we do know what the original is. The original is the Word of God. The original is God's desire and design for humanity. Some of these letters that were written to the the early church also act as a spot the difference for the church, where there has been certain issues, certain things that have been taking place within the church community that the apostles addressed by saying, this is the way that God has said it should be, and this is what's taking place right now. And so we want to bring this back into alignment with God's word, with what God says, with God's ways of doing things. And when Paul and Timothy write to the Colossians, they have this intention as well. We read that there was some great stuff that were happening within the church. He said that you guys are learning to love people well as the Holy Spirit has shown you. There is faithfulness. He calls them faithful brothers and sisters. There's a lot of fruit that is coming in this church. And we would see that it's, it's quite a new church. It's quite a, a young church. It's not too long after Jesus has been resurrected that this church is actually planted. Which kind of makes me think, oh, if they're already starting to veer off track, we've got to be super careful now 
couple of thousand years later. But we see that there were certain things that were taking place in the church in Colossae that Paul wants to address. As we heard last week, the first two chapters of Colossians really deals with with the the theological understanding. Who is Christ? Who are we? What what does it mean to live, to to see Christ as he is? And then the second two chapters shows us what it means to live in response to what we have seen in the first two chapters. Paul writes it in a way that it sets up for the right type of believing before we start to look at right type of living. Right believing will enable right living. When we trace back some of the patterns in our world where, or in our own lives where perhaps we're living out of alignment with God, you can kind of trace back and you may see that there's a belief about God, about ourselves, about sin, about our world, that is just a bit askew. And so he calls us to renew our minds, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, the beliefs, the, the things that we hold on to. And in, in, in turn, those things will guide the way that we live. And so you see this pattern. He wants to deal with our believing before he deals with our living. Deal with what we believe before what we, the way we are living. But there's three things that I want to take from this first portion of Colossians. The first thing is this. The church had drifted. As I said, they were recently planted. There there was zeal within the church. There was uh, good things that were taking place. But there were some areas in the church life where they had drifted from God's word. Verse 23 says, But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed God's servant to proclaim it. What I, th- what I, what I, I, I find challenging but also encouraging about this concept of drifting is that it's not necessarily something that we set out to intentionally do. It's not necessarily a denying it's a drifting and the church in Colossae had drifted from the original gospel that they had received and believed and so now they were seeing the outworking fruit of believing a a mixed message and so Paul says don't drift away from this assurance that you have don't drift away from it I don't know if you've ever been swimming at the beach, and you start off in one point of swimming, perhaps you're right between the flags, and then you, you're swimming along, and then you look up, and all of a sudden you're near Rotnest. Not that you intentionally wanted to head towards Rotnest, but the current has taken you as you were just floating along. You started to drift, and sometimes when we start to drift, it's not until we actually look up that we see how far we have drifted from what we were first intending. Paul's saying, you guys aren't necessarily denying the truth or denying Christ, but you're actually drifting, you're drifting, you're drifting. And the first portion of Colossians, he's affirming to them who they are in Christ. He's affirming to them the work of Christ in their lives. And then he says, but, but, be careful. Not to drift away from this truth. Be careful to be holding fast 
to this truth. Be careful to be planted in this truth. Because if you don't, you might drift away. This is not just an encouragement to the letter to the Colossians. This is an encouragement to the church today, to us today, to me individually today. Perhaps you've had moments in life where you have drifted from what God had intended. That you woke up and said, I'm going to go in this other direction. It's just maybe that you took your eyes off him for a little while. You stopped looking at the horizon. You stopped looking towards Jesus. And then you kind of started drifting. Drifting into your own way of thinking. Drifting into your own way of living. Drifting into your own way of doing things. And maybe then you got swallowed by the current. Sometimes we thank God for those moments when we, we hit rock bottom. When we, hit the air, when, we, when we come to the end of ourselves. Because they're the moments that we actually look up and think, Wow, I have drifted so far from where I first intended. What a gracious gift of God to get us back into this place of alignment with Him. Perhaps you have drifted in the past and you find yourself moving over and over. Maybe today. Maybe today you're in the room, you're in a seat, but your heart's not here. Maybe you sang some of the words, but your heart's not in it. Because it's not just a geographical drifting, it can be in our minds, in our hearts, that we slowly grow cold toward the Word of God or toward God's presence. And then we find ourselves, wow, I'm not where I want to be. Thank you, Jesus, for opening our eyes to see it. I'm grateful that Paul wrote this letter, compelled by the Holy Spirit, to bring the church back to a place of alignment so that they wouldn't continue to drift. And once the word had been presented to them, the drifting was then not unintentional. When you've been confronted by the word, now you have a choice. Will I respond to it or will I keep drifting? Respond to the word. What stops us from drifting? An anchor. If you have an anchor then you will not drift. If you have a boat with no anchor, good luck. It's going to rot next. But if you have an anchor on that boat and you can anchor yourself, then you will not drift. What do we anchor ourselves in? God's Word, God's people, and Christ. He is our anchor. And when we are anchored in Christ, it will stop us from drifting. We might rock every now and then, but if you are firmly anchored in Christ, then it will stop you from drifting further than you wanted to drift. Amen? So we see there that the church has drifted. And verse 23 actually comes after this doxology, this rich, uh, intense word about Christ and the supremacy of Christ. And so he's saying, you've got to hold on to this, which we're about to read. We see that the church had drifted, but here was, this, here was the second issue. Christ was being diminished. They were drifting, and I dare say it was because they were diminishing the person of Jesus. 
Verse 15, let's skip back. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in this unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of his church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. This tells us what the Colossians were struggling with. They had diminished Christ from being sovereign, supreme, divine, to being just another additional God to all of the other gods that were culturally accepted and worshipped at that time. There was a thing around at that time, polytheism, which meant there were many, many different gods that were acknowledged and accepted as being God's little g. There were gods for the sun, there were gods for the moon, there were gods for the waters, there were gods for fertility, there were gods for all different things. And all of these gods were seen as almost equal in in the sight of man. And all of these gods were worshipped for different things in different ways and different meanings. And, And in this time, this was a huge thing that the church had to navigate. It was widely accepted. And not just... Uh, were they thinking Greek gods at this time, but they were also looking Roman kind of mythology, mysticism, different gods from a different culture that were being pushed in. And so the Christians at this point in time uh, had to navigate this. And what was taking place was that others were coming into the church and telling them that they can worship Jesus just as they worship these other gods. That he is just another one of the gods that, that has been created for us to worship. And so Paul is r- r- bringing that right back into realignment with what the truth is, that Christ was not created, that he has existed for eternity, that he is God, and that he should be worshipped as God, bringing back into alignment. He's not just another God. Can we show that other picture there? Um, Chris, not that one, one before, the unknown God up the top, yeah, so this is part of what was belief system at that point in time, was that there was an eternal God or an existent God who was actually unknowable by humanity, who was too pure, too big, too eternal to ever be known by humanity. And so he then created these demigods or these other uh, angels or different things that were then added in as a layer that humanity could then worship, humanity then could interact with. And what they did was they took Jesus and added him into that second realm. And they said that he's just another one. He's just another one of them. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is God. Christ is God. He was not created. Whilst he was incarnate, he was not created. He was 100% human, 
and 100% divine. Fully God, fully human. And this is where this deception came in because they were like, well, how could that take place? He can be part of God, but not God himself. And we see this right now all throughout different thoughts of Christianity. If you look at Jehovah's Witnesses, what do they say about Jesus? Well, he was a prophet. He was sent of God, but not God. The son of God, but not God. The question is around his divinity. Who was he? Was he God? Is he God? And the answer, as Paul tells us, is yes. He existed before all things. And all things were created through him and by him and for him. He was there in the beginning. He'll be there at our end. He is eternal. So don't diminish who Christ is. It wasn't that they were denying Jesus. It was that they were diminishing him to some sort of sub-God, to some sort of half-God. And Paul's like, no. No, 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 no. That is not the gospel you heard. That is not the gospel you received. God died for you. This, this Christ, he is God. The fullness of God dwelt in him, was pleased to dwell in him. You don't need another sub-God. You've got Jesus. He is God. You worship him. Well, that doesn't really relate to us anymore I dare say it does. And if you look a little at some of the Catholic belief, where we have intermediate saints to which some people pray, that's a, a creation of almost an idol of a person rather than worshipping Jesus, which was made possible for us through the cross, through the resurrection. And so Paul's putting this back into alignment. Don't diminish Jesus. Don't diminish him. Again, just as we drift, sometimes you know, we, we don't deny him and just say, like, I, know, I no longer believe in Jesus. I don't believe in him or I'm not going to follow him. But we diminish him. We make him smaller than he is. We squash him down until he fits into our lives. We squash him down until he fits into our understanding, to what I want, to what I believe. Can he fit inside my mind? And we diminish the person of Jesus to something other than God. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is Lord. Yes, he is our friend. Yes, he loves us, but he's holy. He himself is God. And so this letter is really correcting this. Don't walk off track because if you start to believe in a gospel that does not hold Christ as Lord, then you are in trouble. You are going to dangerous territory. Do not be deceived. Jesus is something different. By people who knock on your door and tell you that Jesus is not divine. It's happening right now. But what about your personal life? Are there areas in your personal life where you diminish Jesus? Where you, 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 you quell his, uh, his authority when you... S s no. 
just package him up into something that's tolerable. This is the risen, eternal, supreme, sovereign Christ. At times I wonder if if our small expression of Christian life is actually a result of our small understanding of the Christ that we serve. Perhaps if we expanded by the Holy Spirit, if he, if he gave revelation to see, as Paul said to the Colossians, I pray that you would know his perfect will, that you would have understanding of who he is, that you would grow in your knowledge of him. Perhaps if we allowed that to happen, that our expanded view of Jesus, his holiness, and held him in reverence, then our lives would get bigger as well. That as we give him more space to be Lord, that our lives actually enlarge under his lordship. His kingly rule is not something that is restrictive of freedom, although some people would say it is. If I follow Jesus, then I've got to stop doing this and stop doing that and stop doing that. No. You come into alignment with him, you follow Jesus Your life actually expands. Your heart expands. Your world expands because he brings you to a place of freedom. Anything outside of him is death. Anything outside of him is not worth it. That's what this letter tells us, that he is supreme, that he is sufficient, that he is the one who is above all, in all. He is the one. And so it's so important that we get this right. So important that we hold him in his rightful place of lordship for who he is. And yes, it can be a tension when we look at the humanity of Jesus and we see the compassion and the mercy and the love and and, and some of those expressions that, that we see and we think, wow, he was so meek and mild. But this is the glorified Jesus. You know, he's coming back. And he's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back in glory and in power. He's coming back. So let's not diminish Jesus. Let's not diminish who who he is. We read on a little bit more. And so we've seen the church has drifted. Christ was being diminished. And here's the last thing I want to take out of Colossians. It was that God was being divided. God was being divided. Plato, who was a Greek philosopher and was influential in in shaping some of the thought around this time, had taught something called dualism, uh, which which, which believed that basically the flesh or the, the human body is evil. It's the source and the origin of evil. He actually explained it that um, this body is a prison, a meat prison, and that the spirit of a person is the good part of a person. And so they actually believed that when the, the, we needed to die so that the spirit could be free, the spirit could, be, could have life. And this was a popular kind of thought at that point in time, which was counter active to the gospel which taught about God who became man, who who took upon flesh. How can the divine live flesh? 
And that was a question that they would ask. And we see it in this doxology as well. Because in verse 19, the end of um, 19 there, it says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him with your thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in, the, in his physical body. Physical body, it's important. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without single fault. The Father and the Son have always been one. They have always been in perfect unity. Distinct in person, but united in essence. United in, in godliness. That's who they are. The teaching that was taking place was that there was a division. That Christ became human and, and lost the divinity. That he was just another man who then was elevated as a kinder God. But at no point were they divided. Father, Son, Spirit. Perfect communion. Perfect ongoing unity. And the issue was coming when they were starting to say that they had been divided. And we see in this that it says that God in all of his fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ. And when Paul's saying God, he's referring Father. You'll see this throughout Colossians 1. There is this rich pointing to Christ. But you want to see all of the connections to the Father. That there's never a division between what Christ did and what the Father was doing. In fact, we see that in the Father through the Son uh, rescued us, forgave us our sins, reconciled us, reached the Gentiles, and now resides in us. All of those things are in Colossians chapter 1. And all of those things are connected. Christ did the work, but the Father was involved. There was never a separation between them. Nor will there ever now be a separation between them. They were always one. And they will always be one. Together. And the Father had rescued us through the Son. And the Father had forgiven our sins through the Son's sacrifice. And the Father has reconciled us through the Son. You see this over and over and over again. And Paul wants them to know that these things are connected, that, that Jesus wasn't acting on his own, that they were working in unison, in unity, in perfect harmony as one. Perfect harmony, together as one. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. And then it doesn't stop there. Because he then goes on to say, not only did the fullness of God dwell in Jesus, but now here is a secret that has been hidden for generations. Christ now dwells in you. You are now united with the Father and the Son and the Spirit in Christ Jesus eternally. Just as the Father and the Son were one, you are now one with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. 
He says it there, verse 26 and 27. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know the riches of the, and the glory that of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. You have been united with Christ. Later in, ver- in chapter 3, he says that your life is now hidden in Christ. Christ in you and you in Christ. This union actually defines our Christian lives. We cannot live in separation to Christ because he is in us and we are in him. And this is our hope. This is the, the assurance of our, that we will share in his glory, that we are caught up in this life. You see, there were issues in the church, and yet at the beginning of the letter, listen to what Paul addresses them as. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters. But hang on a second. They were getting stuff wrong. They were messing up. They were drifting. They were all over the place. But he affirms their identity in Christ before he deals with any behavior. Do you know who you are in Jesus? And do you know who he is in you? Because that will dictate and define the way that you live. If you understand that you are in him and he is in you, then that changes the way we think about ourselves. It changes the way we beat ourselves up when we mess up. It changes the way we respond to certain things. If we know that he is in us, this is the secret that generations long to know. And we hold it sometimes in such light stead. Christ in you. Man, the disciples, they struggled with the resurrection. But they had to go through the understanding and the revelation of the resurrection so they could get ready for the thing that was going to blow their minds. Because even in Jewish culture, in Jewish thought, this was what God resides in people, not in temples. And yet the word says we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the place that he chooses and delights to dwell. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. And he is the one that defines you. He could have written this letter and said, To the filthy sinners in Colossae, You guys are absolute muppets. But he doesn't define them by the behavior, by the actions, by anything like that. He defines them by who God has made them to be. You are God's holy people. You are saints. You are who he says you are. Yes, you might make mistakes, but you always come back to this point. I am his. He is in me. Let me finish with this thought. And I'm not a rocket scientist, so excuse me if I mess this word up. The scientists actually found, they were asking the question for many, many years in how our bodies are held together. What is it that holds the cells within our bodies together? 
And they actually found that there is a, a, a protein molecule that holds all of our internal system together. It's, it's been described as like glue that holds the body together. Can we show that picture now, Chris? This is what it looks like. Under a microscope, it is in the shape of a cross. Some may say that that's a bit of a coincidence. It's called laminin. And it is a particle that holds together the human body. Holds us together. So right now, within your body, there are millions upon millions upon millions of little crosses that are holding you together in a physical way. There are all these things within your body that you didn't even realize in the shape of a cross that hold your body in the place that it is. We read that He existed before all, before anything else and He holds all creation together. Christ in you Christ in you. Don't walk away from the truth that He is in you. And the fact that He is in you is our hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the letter to this church many, many years ago. God, we thank you that your word is alive, that it's active and it's relevant to us today. God, as we leave from this room this morning, I pray that you would lead us by your Spirit, that you would continue to make known to us those things that are unknown right now, that you would open our eyes to see the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ, and that you would help us to marvel again at the wonder of the truth that Christ is in us. May we live in a way that worships you, not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout our whole lives. I pray for any of us in the room today that may be drifting, whether we've realized it or not, whether we've come to a point where we think we're too far away, we pray that by your Spirit, you would lift our eyes to see that if we turn back to you, that you would draw us again. I pray that you would help us to be anchored in your word, to have discernment, that we would not be looking to the left or to the right to receive special revelation but that we would receive what we need as your Spirit illuminates your Word to us. We thank you for the anchor of Christ. And Lord, I pray that even today we would drop anchor into Jesus, knowing that we are safe and secure when He holds us. We thank you, Lord. May you lead us to repentance in the areas where we have diminished you, where we have 
lessened your authority in our lives, where we have diminished your power. Would you lift our eyes again? Give us wisdom and understanding, knowledge to know who you are. And may that, as we draw deeper in the revelation of who Jesus is, may that expand us from the inside out. And Lord, we are so grateful that you hold us together, that you hold your people, that you hold your church. And when we feel like things are falling apart, help us to just rest in the grace that holds us together. We're so thankful and grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.